0: These are of our groups that we've got starting up in the next couple weeks, and uh, Dale, who blessed us with the violin a minute ago, is doing one on prayer, and he wanted to say that if if you've expressed interest, if you chatted with him, uh, meet in the foyer after to kind of nail down some details on that, and I believe the rest of them have the details on the sheet. Uh, if you want to do my celebration class, celebration of discipline, just let uh, probably need to sign up in the next couple weeks because we need to order books for that. So, otherwise. I think that's what we got today so John Steinbeck said this he said a child may ask what is the world's story about a grown man or woman may wonder what way will the world go how does it end and while we're at it what's the story about I believe that there is only one story and only one John Steinbeck goes on to talk a little bit more about that and and I think as Christians we we believe that the world is about one story as well right We've been chatting a little bit about this, and, and, and ultimately this story that we live, this story that we're telling, is that this is the story about how the Son of God came to the far country to save sinners. There's more to the story. There's, that's not all of the story, but but that is certainly a big chunk of it. That is certainly what this story is about. What else is this story about? The story is we believe that this world, this cosmos, has a rightful king, and his name is Jesus. And And this is how we live into his kingdom together, right? The story is lived out as the church. One of the things we've been investigating over the summer is what does it mean to be church? How do we define church? And and this is the definition we've been kind of working from is that church is God's people, God's image, implementing God's reign in God's rightful dominion, themselves, others, and the world in the same way he did and would. So we've been looking at different aspects of that. What does it mean to be church in our world today? A lot of times we say go to church or we're going to head over to the church. And and one of the things that we've been talking about is that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense if we read theology from the New Testament point of view. We are the church, so we cannot go to church. Church is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. So wherever we are, that's where the Holy Spirit is. And this is one of the wonderful things I think the New Testament teaches us. No longer do we have to go to a specific place to meet God. Now each of us can meet God anywhere at any time. Church is the family of Yahweh. When, when the Lord God looked out and He wanted to redeem the world, He started with a family. He started with Abraham and He started with his wife. He gave them a miracle child and from there He made a great nation. And eventually He called us in to be His brothers and His sisters and His sons and His daughters god is a god of community we believe that this is also what the story is about god is a trinity and so the story must be lived in a harmony we as individuals yes we have a relationship with god but we can't live it all of on our own this isn't a me and jesus story this is an us and jesus story it's a story that has to be told in many parts and and one of the ways that we've been looking at that is if we are the body of christ we've been looking at this apest apostles prophets evangelists shepherds teachers as a way that we tell the story together a way that we tell the story in harmony, a way that we work together to make sure that every aspect of the story is told in some way, shape, and form. And so another way to say that is simply that church is the body of Christ. Paul gives some insight into what the body of Christ is in 1 Corinthians, if you will turn with me. I'm picking up in verse 12 here. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And Paul is recognizing that there are distinctions within this body, but it is one uniform body regardless of those distinctions. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weakest are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing helping of guidance and of different kinds of tongues are all apostles are all prophets are all teachers do all work miracles do all have gifts of healing do all speak in tongues do all interpret now eagerly desire the greater gifts and the greatest of these he goes on to say is love so he gives a little bit different of a list of gifts here in corinthians than he has in ephesians that we've been working from and to me this kind of bolsters the point that Neither Ephesians nor Corinthians is meant to be an exhaustive list. It's not meant to be the only, the definitive list. And so when we talk about this list in Ephesians, I want, I want to recognize that this is not the only way to read that. This is not the only way, but I think it is a way, and I think it is a valid way, and I think it's a helpful way. I think it's a practical way. So when we look at the gift in Ephesians, we see apest, right? So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And the key part in Corinthians is he's talking about this is one body regardless of the gifts. This is all one body doing one thing. So we're not doing a bunch of different things. We are all participating in this one story, this one body. He says this in a little different way over in Ephesians. We're going to start, let's see, verse 4 here. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. And if you remember... That is the what of the story we are telling. That is the essential character of this story. It's one God, one Father. This is one story that we are telling here. Skip down with me to verse 11. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the p- pastors and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The goal is the measure of the fullness of Christ, this maturity that he's searching for. Therefore, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So there's this idea that each part must be doing its work. And so what we've been talking about is this apest model is a way that we can view that so each part can have a job to do. Each person can have a specific role. Each person can have a way that they approach being the body of Christ. So what does this look like? Well, We've got this nice little visual aid that we've been working through and we've, we've already done the APE and so if you notice the apostles are kind of the people on the front. They're the ones pushing forward. They're the ones looking, asking. Apostolos literally means one who is sent. So these are the people that are sent into new context. They're looking for new ways of, of telling the story to people that have not heard the story. They're looking for new ways we can be the church. Ways that we might not have before. The prophets up at the top They're the ones who interact with God on our behalf. They're the ones who listen and they try to see where are we missing the mark? How can we make sure that we are honoring God with integrity? That we are doing, that we are really telling the right story here. How can we make sure we're doing that? The the evangelists are on the backside and they're they're inviting people in. They're saying, Everyone, we have got to hear this amazing story. And so they are the ones who are interacting with outsiders and they're saying, Hey, this story is about you too. This is a story you can be part of. And so I want you to notice. These three gifts, in some ways, they kind of set the edges of what the body looks like. They set the edges, they they set the boundaries, they they invite outsiders in, but they also invite the church to the outside. So the apostles are inviting the church to the outside, and evangelists are inviting outsiders into the church. The prophets are setting the top, and they're saying, God, what should the shape of our story look like? So these are all great, right? But what happens uh, if those are the only gifts? (laughs) Well, you get a mess on your hands. You need these last two gifts to have a coherent church. So, first, shepherds. Shepherds are the caretakers. They're the pastors. This is the same word that is used for pastor throughout the New Testament. And so this is a word that doesn't necessarily mean the office of pastor, but it means the job of caring for souls. It means the job of caring for the body of Christ. And so shepherds are the ones that are caretaking. They're the ones looking out for everyone's needs. Uh, Shepherds are going to be the vast majority of most churches. Shepherds are going to, I mean, most most Christians, their spiritual gifting in this is going to be shepherd, because most Christians do a good job of taking care of people. And, and so shepherd is the caretaker. Shepherd are the people, shepherd are the glue type people. They keep us all together. So i to take you back to the, the chart here. If you notice, there's little spokes coming out from the shepherd in the middle. So I want you to think about that, like the shepherds are the ones that kind of maintain that this is one body. They're the ones that keep us all together. <laughs> Because if, if you have apostles on the one hand pushing forward, you have evangelists on the other hand inviting new people in, and you have prophets yelling. Yeah, well, there's the evangelists. You have prophets yelling about some truth that we missed, then, then suddenly you lose all your coherence. You lose your community. You lose who you are. So you need a lot of shepherds to keep people together, to keep them cared for, to, to make sure that their needs are being met. So, general traits of shepherd types shepherds tend to create a safe environment for people to feel safe and for people to heal. So if if you're looking for someone to uh, to to make you feel okay about life, a shepherd is a great person to do that. Shepherds have an innate ability to empathize with people. Shepherds are the ones that you want listening to you whenever you're you're really hurting. They're also the ones you want celebrating with you when you're happy. Shepherds are the, the caretakers of the church. Shepherds create a sense of family and belonging. So. If anybody's going to be setting tables, if anybody's going to be making sure that things uh, just feel like home, that's what shepherds do. Shepherds make sure we all uh, are welcomed in. Shepherds tend to dislike conflict, though. (laughs) Shepherds focus on cultivating community within the church, and and so one of the, the back and forths that happen a lot of times is between shepherd types and the prophets, apostles, evangelist types, right? And so what are some issues if a church, first of all, neglects shepherds. First, there aren't any. There are no churches that neglect shepherds. I say that kind of jokingly, and nobody's laughing, so it wasn't a joke. Uh, mark that one out. So, for the most part, churches don't neglect shepherd types, because shepherd types are the ones that do most of the work of the church. And, and so, generally, if we're, if we're looking for people to sign up for things, shepherds, you're the types that feel guilty if nobody's signing up, and so you go do it, Right? You're the ones that have trouble setting an edge, setting a boundary. Uh, But if you did neglect shepherds, what could a church look like? Well, it could be kind of cold. It could be disconnected. Uh, People could lack community, and they could lack for caring for members. Uh, You could oftentimes sacrifice depth in order for growth. And so you can see this sometimes in churches that just have massive, explosive growth. They lack kind of a depth. They lack kind of a rootedness among each other. And so sometimes that is because they've focused so hard on evangelists and apostles, that they've lost the sight of these shepherds that, that continually tell the story of how not only are we redeemed, but we're being redeemed. And that's what shepherds tell us and remind us. However, a lot of times churches contend towards an imbalance towards the shepherd type. So what can that lead to? Well, on the one hand, it can lead to a false dichotomy of mission and community. So if, if shepherds are the ones calling all the shots all the time, then sometimes you can start to think that, that uh, community cannot be coexisting with mission. But the truth is that this mission that we have is based in community. So these two go hand in hand. This community of God is a a community that is inviting and open to all. It's not about us here. It's about God and his community, his family. And so there's not a distinction between community and mission. But if you neglect towards the shepherd type, you can start to see it that way. Shepherd types can have trouble setting boundaries. So sometimes you would see no Sabbath among shepherd uh shepherd centric type churches and so sometimes you would start to say well we're just going to do everything all the time for everyone and and that's a shepherd's heart but it also leads to a lot of failings it also leads to not necessarily doing things as well as you would like Uh, shepherds sometimes if you lead lean that direction too hard you can assume any cause of discomfort or change is bad and so uh, if if shepherds have a disproportionate amount of voice then they can start to say well We've never done it that way. It's probably not. It's probably not any better than what we've done, and we, we're really happy doing it this way. Uh, shepherd uh, a tendency towards that can resist any change because we're just not ready, uh, and so you sometimes you get a tug of war between the apostle types and the shepherd types, where the apostle types will say we're changing whether we're ready or not. And the shepherd types will, will wait around until everyone is ready and everyone is completely comfortable and the change is too late at that point. right? And so there's this back and forth a little bit between these giftings. So how about teachers? What do teachers do? Well, they teach, for one, so that's good. Uh, but they also bring a certain sense of structure to our story. So if you think about we're all telling a story, right? And so you think about apostles are looking for new ways to kind of tell that story. Prophets are making sure we're telling the right story. Evangelists are making sure we have more people to tell the story to. Shepherds help to make sure that we have a coherent story. They help to make sure that we have protagonists in our story. They help to build up our our lead characters. And and so we have all that, and we might say, well, then why do we need one other gift? (laughs) And and let me encourage you, if you've ever read a story that doesn't have any structure to it, it is a huge mess, right? Right? And, and so that is what happens if you don't have a teacher type. So this guy, Tom Peters, I don't know who that is, but I like this quote, so. <laughs> so we've got this. He said, leaders win through logistics, vision sure, strategy yes, but when you go to war, you need to have both toilet paper and bullets at the right place at the right time. <laughs> Tom's funnier than me today. In other words, <laughs> you must win through superior logistics. And, and he's right, right? <laughs> all time they talk about how wars are won through the supply lines. And and so this is one of the things that a lot of times we take for granted as churches. We think, well, we'll have a really good spirit and we'll try really hard and we'll love each other really well. What else do we need? And the answer is we need structure, right? We need somebody that, that brings us together and reminds us that there are good parts of having a storytelling structure. So, general traits of teachers. Teachers do teach, and that's a a big part of what they do. So, they they help explain things that are difficult to understand. They help to uh, teach our classes. They help to make sure we we all have an understanding of theology and the Bible, but they do more than that. Uh, Teachers are often concerned with logic, order, process, and development. Teachers have a gift for outlining comprehensive systems. So, if, if I'm ever struggling with something and I'm saying, this is really what I want to do, then the people that I want to call in to help me put details to that are teacher types. They can say, well, you want to think about X, Y, Z. You want to make sure that uh, the bullets and toilet paper get to the front line, right? Uh, and so teachers are the detail type people a lot of times. Teachers often ask tough questions that lead to better insight. So if you're thinking about doing something, teachers are the ones that say, okay, well, how are we going to do X in this thing? Uh, teachers often help to operationalize the dreams of apostles and prophets. And so we start to see how these, some of these giftings start work together. If only apostles led the church, then yeah, we would try a whole lot of new things, but none of them would be organized, right? <laughs> and so we need the teacher types to come in and to say, okay, here's how we make sure this actually runs. So churches that neglect teachers become a sloppy mess. <laughs> Has anybody ever been involved in that? I have because I neglect that type sometimes. (laughs) Uh, uh, Churches that neglect teachers can uh, lack clear communication and clear boundaries, and so everybody shows up and they're just confused and not knowing what is going on, and a lot of times that's because we've neglected the teacher tribes. Uh, Churches that neglect teachers often struggle to plan, and sometimes they can struggle with poor theology, poor doctrine. And, and I, I put this last because I, I think it's important and it's a huge part of it, but I, I don't think that that is the most pressing thing a lot of times. We, we do need to make sure our doctrine and theology are good, but that's not often where we're failing, if that makes sense. So an imbalance towards teachers, though, can lead to a legalistic mindset. So if teachers are the ones calling the shots all the time, then suddenly we start to become all about rules and we have to do things a certain way all the time or we're failing. And so people that step outside of that Prophets, apostles, they're suddenly bad guys because they're wrecking the order that the teachers have made. An overemphasis on profit, process and rules, disallowing any kind of spontaneity. And, and this is not good for people that are evangelist type, people that are shepherd type. They need spontaneity, they need time when they can just communicate, they can just be together. And so if, if we've overemphasized teacher types, then suddenly those undercut sometimes the evangelists and the shepherds. Uh, teacher types can become too cerebral sometimes, and so yes, it is great that we love God with our minds, but we also have to love God with our hands and feet, right? And so there has to be a balance of those things. Uh, if we overemphasize teaching type, we can become too attached to stability, and, and we don't take risks, and we don't try new things. So, let's go back to this. So the shepherd type acts as a glue in the middle. of The teacher type kind of undermines things. They, they keep things with a solid foundation, So if you think about it like a scaffolding, teacher types help us set up a way that we can do things in a good way. And so teacher types, a lot of times we neglect them, but they give structure to the story we're telling. So if you think about a good story, a good story has a beginning, middle, and end. And If you start to jumble those up, well, then you don't have a good story anymore. You just have a mess. So how in the world could all of this work? All right, so imagine that in the the wintertime, We say, you know what, we want next fall, we want to make sure we have a really good outreach-focused fall season. And so we say, anybody who identifies as an evangelist, we want to invite you to this time. And we want to take a couple apostles and a couple teachers, and we get together, and the evangelists and the apostles have big ideas. And then the teachers say, why or why not to do those (laughs) ideas, right? The teachers say, here's how we can execute those ideas. Here's how to make sure we're doing that right. Here's how to make sure we're doing it well. So then everybody has a voice at that table, and then we say, okay, let's plan it together. So each gift embraces what they do well. Then in the fall time, we would have a very comprehensive, organized, planned way of reaching out to people that are not part of our church. Then, sometime during the fall, we bring together the prophets and the shepherds, and the prophets look and we say, give us an honest take. Where are we failing, prophets? Let us know how we're falling short. The prophets could look and they could say, look, we're not taking care of our widows very well. We're not taking care of these small people very well. We need to do a better job of this. And so then the shepherds could come alongside and they could say, okay, here's what we're good at. We're great at hospitality. We're great at taking care of people. And then we could bring a teacher in and the teacher could say, okay, here's how to organize this whole thing. So the teacher is is almost like the playbook, right? And so they're they're saying, okay, you go here this time, you go here this time. And so the hope is that we give each of these people an opportunity to do what they do best within a community. And, and the difficulty a lot of times is that we don't do these things together. We do it in isolated silos, and so we say, Apostle types, you plan everything, and then the rest of us will kind of show up, and, and it just doesn't work. We need these different giftings to help one another tell the story well. Steinbeck said, A child may ask, What is the world's story about? And a grown man or woman may wonder, What way will the world go? How does it end? And while we're at it, what's the story about? He goes on to say, There's... I believe there is one story in the world and only one. There is no other story. A man or a woman, after he's brushed off the dust and chips of his life, will have left only the hard, clean questions. Was it good or was it evil? Have I done well or ill? When a man comes to die, no matter his talents and influence and genius, if he dies unloved, his life must be a failure to him and his dying a cold horror seems to me that if you or I must choose between two courses of thought or action, we should remember our dying and try to so live that our death brings no pleasure to the world. I want you to think about that in terms of church. If you disappeared tomorrow, how different would this place be? And this is the genius of the APEST model, in my opinion, is that it gives everybody a chance that if they disappeared tomorrow, that there would be a difference. Would the body of Christ be diminished by my absence, and my hope is, as we go forward, we start to build processes that can make sure that if you were not here tomorrow, we would notice there would be jobs that would not get done. And the hope is with the APEs that we can start to lean into those kind of things. And so, the next, the question is, what's the next step? Well, I'm going to send out a, a little survey that you can start to you can do an online thing and try to figure out what your gifting is. Uh, the leadership team we're working together to try to fill fill out how exactly we're going to we're going to put this into practice in the coming year in the coming years <laughs> and 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 we want to make sure that we find a place for everyone to serve and 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 the thing is like we need everyone. We need the eyes and we need the ears, we need the whole body doing the whole body's work. You're called to be the body of Christ. The question is if you are not part of the body, would the body suffer? I would hope so. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we we, we know we're not worthy to do your work here in this world, but, Lord, you called us to anyway. And so uh, we pray that we would do it diligently. We pray that we would attempt to do it well, Lord, that we, would, uh, that we would do it together, that we would attempt to be your body as a community and not as a bunch of individuals. Lord God, we love you. We Thank you. Amen.